o'clock. Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And this is Thursday, April 21st, 2016. Tonight we have Attorney Charles Marshall returning as our guest. News of the week, our pilot of the group consult made a lot of sense to a lot of people. We didn't even realize that we were overbooked within hours of the announcement of the pilot. A $99 fee is a lot easier to do than $650 for an hour, and listening to the questions of others allows everyone to get an hour and a half of education. We have another one coming up next week, so watch the blog for the announcement. We'll be doing it as long as there is demand for it. And thanks to everyone for your support of this program. It enables me to reach more people in a more efficient manner than what we had been doing. And one more thing, I've been hearing that uh, some attorneys whose work I have greatly admired for years are telling prospective clients that I'm wrong on some aspects of the rescission that are sent after the so-called three years have expired. The mistake is that they are assuming that the three years have expired and uh, because they are assuming that there was consummation of the transaction when the papers were signed with the pretender lender. But the real story about what's being missed is about procedure. Rescission is a procedural remedy. This is the same mistake that was made 10 years ago when I said that no lawsuit was required to cancel the loan contract, if there ever was a loan contract. It is the same mistake made 10 years ago when I said that the note is void the moment the rescission is dropped into a U.S. mailbox. And it is the same mistake that was made 10 years ago when I said that it was that the mortgage is void when the rescission is mailed. And it is the same mistake when I said that no tender is required under TILA rescission because just like non-judicial foreclosure, TILA rescission takes the place of common law rescission. And now I'm saying it doesn't matter whether sending the rescission is right or wrong, whether it's apparently over three years or not, it is still effective. The burden of bringing a lawsuit is on the lender or creditor withstanding, not the homeowner or the alleged borrower. The rescission is effective at the time of mailing. The mistaken analysis, in in my opinion, is that lawyers are looking to the end result of what would happen if the banks filed the lawsuit seeking to vacate the rescission and and they have concluded 
that the banks would win. I say they wouldn't win for a variety of reasons, including the fact that they blew the 20-day window, and they lack standing. The banks are relying upon void notes and void mortgages to assert defenses against rescission. What is not yet completely understood is that rescission is a fact. It is not a claim. There are no defenses to it. There is only compliance or noncompliance unless a party with standing vacates it with a court order. The claim to vacate the rescission must be brought by the creditor, not the banks who hold void paper. And I don't think they can bring that claim or they would have done so already. For years and years, judges, lawyers, and others told me I was wrong about rescission up until January of 2015 when Jessenowski versus Countrywide came out in which Justice Scalia expressly stated for a unanimous Supreme Court that there is no distinction between disputed and undisputed rescissions. They are all valid. They are all effective. I don't take issue with the fact that trial judges will resist this, and they are resisting it. But in the end, as I said 10 years ago, rescission will be applied as it is stated in 15 U.S.C. 1635, which means that under all circumstances, the loan contract note and mortgage are void, and the only party withstanding to file a lawsuit to vacate the rescission is the actual credit to whom the money is actually owed. One more wrinkle on the rescission issue, tens of thousands of people did send notices of rescission many years ago. They're calling about enforcing the rescission to get the canceled note, to get the disgorgement of money, and to get the release of the encumbrance. The short answer is that the homeowner and the creditor have both gone beyond the statute of limitations. What that means is that the homeowner can't file suit to enforce the rescission, but, and here's the important point, that only means that you don't have a lawsuit to force compliance with the three statutory duties under TILA rescission. It does not mean that the note and mortgage magically become unvoid. And it does not mean you still owe the, uh, the debt because, as I understand it, any litigation uh, pressing a TILA claim must be brought within one year of the event. In this case, the lender or creditor has no ability to claim anything on the debt because it failed to comply with the three statutory duties under TILA rescission. Compliance with those duties is absolutely required before they can make a claim for money. Stonewalling causes them to lose all claims for the principal. So an action for quiet title is typically filed by homeowners, and if necessary, an action for injunction against anyone who, who is claiming that they can use the void note and the void mortgage. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lives, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 
1-800-242-1688. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. We're improving and maintaining our websites. Sorry for our dust, but I think we've made some pretty good improvements. Uh, we should be done with the first phase probably next week. We are, uh, as I mentioned, piloting a new $99 program uh, for a group consult of up to 10 people to get more information to more people. Uh, The minimum will go, depending on the number of people, is one hour. Otherwise, it will be an hour and a half. You can ask questions and listen to others ask questions. You can get answers, and you can listen to other people get answers. Go to the Living Lies blog, click on it, check it out, schedule yourself in on one of these group consults. You're reminded that in such a conversation, you're not getting specific legal advice because I won't know your whole case, and I'm probably not licensed in your state unless you're in Florida. But I will know enough because you will be filling out our registration form and you're waiving attorney-client privilege if it applies because other people are on the line. If you're looking for active assistance in rescission, litigation, modification, mediation, or settlement, then call our numbers, schedule a consult, a review, or both. We provide your attorney with the latest information on what is happening, what is getting traction, and bare-bones facts on the origination, acquisition, and enforcement of each loan submitted to us. Let me remind my listeners again that nothing stops a foreclosure, sale, or foreclosure judgment except a court order. No letter, pleading, or anything else will stop the foreclosure from proceeding or stop the for sale of the property. In bankruptcy, that order is ordinarily automatically issued as soon as the bankruptcy is filed, but there are exceptions to that. Charles Marshall has attorney, is an attorney with offices in San Diego County, and satellite offices in the L.A. area, San Jose area, and Lake Tahoe area. He has clients throughout California. He practices in all four federal California districts. He has appeals pending before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and he has appeals pending in six state appellate districts, and lawsuits moving forward in almost every county in California. He handles all aspects of foreclosure-related cases, including California plaintiffs' foreclosure lawsuits, defense lawsuits against homeowners from the usual suspects, uh, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, etc., and uh, select bankruptcy and unlawful detainer matters. Charles Marshall, thank you for appearing on our show again. Welcome back. Oh, absolutely, Neil. Good good to be back on with you. So let's get into the meat of this thing here. And uh, there's been some developments in your state which are having a rippling effect across the country. Uh, we have, of course, been talking about the Ivanova decision. Uh, there's also the California Supreme Court case of Keshgar versus U.S. Bank. Uh, Perhaps it would be helpful if you talked about what that case is about and how it relates to the Ivanova decision of a couple of months ago. 
Uh, sure, Neil. Be glad to go into that. Uh, what Kashgar does is it it basically takes a part of the even overruling that was still not definitive, and it basically leaves the the Kashgar court in the position where if they rule favorably for Kashgar, not only will post-auction cases, particularly where a wrongful foreclosure is pled, be cases where presumptively the plaintiff has standing. I mean, that is the Ivanova holding, just to to make that clear uh, to your radio radio listeners here. Uh, the the uh, Ivanova court went to great pains to explain that well, you know, they're basically saying, well, guys, listen up. This holding only applies to wrongful foreclosure cases where this, the property's already gone to auction. Uh, but they left open the, uh, the terrain where there's been an NOD and it has not gone to auction. And that would be a notice of default. The, the NOD right, is a notice of default. Yes. Right, non non judicial foreclosure states, whether they're California or otherwise, that's almost invariably the terminology that's used whereby the reported servicer directs a sales trustee to foreclose on a property. So bottom line with Keshgar is the California Supreme Court one, they took up the case of Keshgar because of Ivanova. Two, they postponed briefing and, and full full development and a full hearing for Kashgar pending the Ivanova decision. Now the Ivanova has been decided, California Supreme Court is moving forward in the light of Ivanova, and it set up Kashgar to get a very <clears throat> similar ruling to Ivanova. And basically, it's going to mean at the end of the day, I believe, we'll we'll see how this plays out. By the way, by the way, this is just a brief parenthetical. Um, when there is uncertainty in this business, when there is uncertainty on our side, that's actually often to our benefit, uh, because the people on the other side of defendants, the main line servicers and lenders, they don't like uncertainty, and they they like and want to be able to just railroad homeowners in these court decisions, in these lawsuits. And even Ivanova has very much changed the terrain on that. Kashgar, even while it's pending, regardless of what the ultimate appellate decision is, is creating a lot of leverage for our side, which, frankly, you know, as as somebody in California who loves bringing these lawsuits against lenders, this is a big, a big positive development for Kashgar to even be out there. And again, ultimately, I think it will be decided. One other thing I just wanted to add real briefly that that radio listeners should know, if you have a preemptive lawsuit, you do need to be careful pleading in California. What I mean by a preemptive lawsuit is, let's say you're current. Let's say you're not that far behind, and you really don't anticipate that you're going to be having a notice of default generated at any time. That's a lawsuit that... Ivanova, you know, in its in its holding is basically saying is without merit. So I think once Kashgar is heard and Kashgar is favorable, 
even that terrain will change. But, you know, in as much as I, along with a lot of, a lot of other attorneys in this terrain, will, will boost Ivanova, every decision comes with cautionary notes. The cautionary note out of Ivanova is if you've got a claim where there isn't a notice of default, you have to be very careful about how that's pled. It's really interesting how they're parsing this. In the the California Supreme Court in Ivanova made a big point of saying this only applies to wrongful foreclosures based on a void assignment after the sale has taken place. And now you've got Kashgar which is before the sale, but after the notice of default. And then we've got this other category, and there may be subcategories of these, of where people want to file what you're calling a preemptive lawsuit, saying the same, all the same thing. These people are trying to collect from me on a void assignment. So it's interesting how the court is parsing that do you see anything where the, the 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 three areas will ultimately end up with the same inconsistencies that we have now oh i do see that and the the beauty of kashgar is that once it's decided if it's even modestly favorable in our direction that's going to open up the terrain for by the way the preemptive term is, is certainly not my term. That's that's the Ivanova court. You know, they they wanted to to kind of uh, sweeten the poison they were putting down on the lenders. And one of the ways they did that was to make it sound like the decision was very limited. Well, the actual holding is technically limited, but the implications of the holding are very broad. And I'm seeing that in my practice already. I mean. A lot of cases that six months ago would have been shut down at this stage uh, potentially are going forward, and you know more than half of of my cases are surviving uh, demur and motions to dismiss, up to seventy percent at this point, and that's a huge that's a huge development. Um, but just to 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 answer your, your question more precisely, Justice Ivanova opened up Kashgar, if Kashgar is favorable, that will open what the court calls preemptive lawsuits. And, and in a lot right. of ways, it's analytically, it's analytically obvious. It's also common sense. <clears throat> if the wrong party is going after you, just because they haven't generated an NOD yet, why should they be able to send you dunning letters? Why should they be able to harass you to collect a debt that they can't even show that you, that you owe? And that principle I think is going to be at the center of the decisions on this. And borrowers need to be patient. I mean, if you've got that a situation goes, where. Yeah, that pretty much goes with what I said at the very beginning of my journey on this 10 years ago, that if we follow the money, then we're going to find the truth. And what is happening uh, what was happening then, as it's happening now, is that you have a bunch of intermediaries who are demanding money from people who know they have a debt, but they have no idea how they owe the debt to the people who are demanding the payment. So, 
what are you doing now with this case of Lundy versus Celine Finance? You, uh, sure, you are addressed that. You are the attorney in there, right? Right, exactly. I mean, I filed this originally back last fall in state court. It was removed by the servicer of Celine Finance uh, in November, and it's been in federal court ever since. Uh, the good news in that case, and I, I mentioned this on your program before. I mean, it's I think it's so significant. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it again. I filed opposition to a operative motion to dismiss in that case back in late February, on a Friday. The following Monday morning, the judge in the case actually stayed the case right then and there, and you know issued an order to show cause to the defendant as to why this case should not be stayed permanently and why this case should not be stayed pending Kashgar's resolution. I mean, that's that's really profound stuff. And that all happened literally over a weekend. So that shows you, how powerful Kashgar is, and Charles, it shows... Charles, do you think that this is showing that judges on the trial bench are getting less confident about their previous attitude towards uh, uh, the uh, the banks and the uh, homeowners? Uh, well, what I would say to that, Neil, is this is very situation-dependent. And, you know, for listeners out there, if you're in a position where you're considering doing this on your own or you're considering doing this consulting with an attorney or you're considering hiring an attorney, what you need to keep in mind as a fundamental precept with everything you do is everything you do in foreclosure, defense, and, you know, plaintiff's matters is situation dependent. Um, Because what I've found is that in the central district, the federal central district, that district for years has been very pro-lender, pro-servicer, anti-borrower, and that continues. And it's not a coincidence that it's a Northern District case. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the Northern District basically comprises the Bay Area, you know, all the way east of Oakland, not as far as Sacramento, that's the Eastern District, all the way down to San Jose, and then the East Bay, you know, of, of the entire San Francisco Bay Area. And then up to a bit, you know, north of San Francisco as well. I mean, the bottom line is in California, of the four federal districts, that is by far the most pro-borrower. Does that mean it's a pro-borrower district? No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, I I have to say that because that's really the reality. That's how much things have been stacked against our side for so long. But the northern district is the most pro-borrower district. And that's where, unsurprisingly, we now have a decision – it's quite favorable, and I think properly referencing Kashgar, I would still be very surprised to see a central district judge, that's L.A., Riverside, Orange County, come out with a similar ruling. However, and this is where people need to be patient again, everything that happens in the legal world is, is, is a moving development. Just like every other area of reality, things happen over time. There are changes that can be quite dramatic. They don't play out immediately everywhere. So the central district is still a difficult place to put these cases out. I'm not saying don't put the cases out. Absolutely, you should put them out. But, you know, the terrain will be more difficult. Southern district, San Diego, 
that's kind of in well, between the northern district and central. Yeah, um, that but the bottom line is wherever you are, you're going to be able to get some traction. Right. That basically brings us to the next topic. We only have a few minutes, but I, I want to say that uh, piggyback on what you said, which is what I have advised my own clients in my own practice, that if you're going to get into this, you have to be prepared to go on appeal because it's very likely, no matter how right you are, that the trial judge is going to be resistant to whatever theory we are uh, proposing. Uh, that's not universally true anymore. We have won a number of cases at the trial level, but it is still largely true that the, uh, the successes don't come until the appeal. So, Charles, uh, in the in the few minutes that we have left here, can you uh, uh, tell us how you think Ivanova and Kashgar impacted foreclosure appellate practice in California? Oh, sure. I mean, I've already seen it have an impact. You know, one of the things that borrowers legitimately worry about all the time are sale dates. And for most homeowners in these types of cases, that's something that's either an active aspect that they have to deal with or it's always on the horizon as something they have to worry about. And even since Ivanova was decided, I'm finding it's easier to postpone sale dates. I mean, I get the vast majority of sale dates postponed regardless, but the, the, the way this is playing out in the real legal world is that with cases on appeal where sale dates would be kept off, and we would be getting more leverage for settlement value. That's already showing a sign of significant increase simply because of Ivanova. And if you had a pre-foreclosure, meaning pre-auction lawsuit, post-NOD, pre-auction, and for that matter, even if you had a preemptive lawsuit, because the appellate process takes two to three years sometimes, whether you're in federal or state court, because of that time frame, any legal development that comes our way, whether it's Kashgar or something else, let's say in the next couple of years or so, can potentially be incorporated into your ongoing appeal. So it's a huge deal to appeal your case. And I, I handle a lot of appeals for that reason. Most of them are brought from other attorneys. There's, there's a, most of my cases either settle or go through. But regardless, I think the bottom line that, that homeowners have to uh, – to process here is that just as what you know homeowners have done to keep themselves in the game for so many years in some cases uh, has worked, um, and, and even where you're out of your property now, particularly because of Ivanova, it directly applies to your situation in a lot of particular circumstances, and where an appeal can still be brought in those cases. I think in a lot of cases that's going to be that's going to be the way to go to create leverage and settlement value because those are the two fundamentals of litigation practice. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about suing over widgets or suing over foreclosure. Well, um, I want to give you a plug here, which you didn't ask me for, but I'm uh, strongly suggesting that uh, the uh, uh, trial attorneys who are handling foreclosure cases and who have to go to appeal, 
that they go to somebody, Charles in particular, but there are others in California, who understand appellate practice and who understand the specific issues involved with foreclosure. It would be very wise to associate uh, with somebody who has gone through the process and knows the process. Um, and uh, Charles, I want to thank you for appearing on the show. Um, I'd like to I'd like to have you back again so we can talk more about rescission and trial practice uh, for the people uh, out there and the lawyers who are listening in. Um, I appreciate and, that, Neil. I will I will uh, take you up on that. Appreciate that. Excellent. Well. That's it for today. We'll uh, look at the blog for the announcements of the group consult, and I'll see you. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice, and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.